Life is hard. Life with chronic, critical, and complex health concerns is even harder. We all know someone who is struggling with health issues or disability. It might even be you. And in the pain and suffering, we wonder if it's possible to move from surviving to thriving. We struggle to hope, struggle to persevere, struggle to trust that God knows what he's doing. But in the struggle, there is real hope, and it's possible to be rooted and ready to weather the storm. Welcome to the Bluestem Project Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Hello, and welcome to the Bluestem Project Podcast. We are husband and wife team, Brandon and Amy Smith. The Bluestem Project exists to equip and encourage you in the suffering, hardships, and trials of life that come with health issues and disability. We do this by helping root you in Christ and giving you the tools you need to be ready for life's greatest obstacles. In this episode, we are going to be talking about loneliness. We know that many of you have struggled with loneliness individually and even our culture in general. And we know you have struggled because we have as well. But we believe that with God's help, you'll learn to navigate loneliness more successfully. Yeah, thanks for listening. We hope you're well. We hope you're not too lonely. This time of COVID (laughs) has perhaps raised the issue of loneliness to the forefront of our minds like nothing else, at least on a wide scale, that I can remember. Mm -hmm. Personally and seeing it in, in other people as well. Yeah, I had... When we were in the initial lockdown, yes, I had you, cute wife, <laughs> had our boys, but I remember, and this is how I phrased it, like, I miss camaraderie. And you're an introvert. Yeah, slightly, so slightly that. on that side. Mm-hmm. But I'm but like, it, I miss camaraderie, and it was driving me nuts. Mm-hmm. We can only meet so many of those needs, those social needs of yours. I was trying to talk you into letting me build a fire in the backyard <laughs> inviting a friend over <laughs> and having him sit 10 feet away. I, I, <laughs> and, and this was at a time when we, we, I think we, th- we were under the assumption this— This is going to be long. Well, that even that coronavirus was more serious than it has turned out to be with more information. I'm not mm-hmm. saying Down it's not serious at all. But we were pretty concerned then, and I remember <laughs> I was trying to talk you into it because I'm like, I'm dying here. You reminded me Let of that. Me. makes me wonder how many crazy ideas the number of— even listeners have had of like, how are we going to manage and sustain this crazy new reality that we're currently living in? Yeah, I'm sure there's lots of them. So, so loneliness, I think, is on our cl- our collective minds, mm-hmm. and here's where we're headed uh, in this episode. Um, I think, and and we've talked about this between the two of us, that loneliness could be a, a series that we could talk about, and perhaps down the road we will go deeper and hit on it more. But for today, what we're going to do is expose, I think, the reality of loneliness specifically or on the individual level, but also on the general level. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about why loneliness is antithetical to the desires of the human heart. In other words, there's something in our humanity that just pushes back against this where, you know, like the male tiger, he's not too upset by being lonely. He lives his life (laughs) out in the out in the jungle or in the woods. I'm not a male tiger. And he's pretty okay with that. But it's antithetical to the human heart. And then we're going to get into the reality that God's presence and his grace in giving us people can p- push back on loneliness, give mm-hmm. it uh, an uppercut yeah. to the jaw, you could say. Yeah. there's. I think when we say loneliness, it's not too far-fetched. It doesn't take much for anyone to really think about, oh, have I ever felt lonely? Or when in life have I? Or 
what that looks like and how it manifests. But it, there's something helpful, I think, when we hear, um, whether it's statistics or things like that, as it relates to the magnitude of loneliness, that kind of puts to words what some of us might feel or mm-hmm. think. And I know, so Pastor Jeremy uh, Linneman says this. His quote is, it could be easily argued that loneliness is the epidemic of contemporary Western culture. And most other, uh, most of our other epidemics, from heart disease to the pornography use, can trace their roots back to a lonely heart. Mother Teresa was right in stating that life without other people is the worst disease any human being can ever experience. He goes on to say that Western community is in sharp decline and radical individualism has become the functional status for even the most devoted churchgoers. This radical individualism has engendered unprecedented social isolation and yielded a depth of loneliness unique to 21st century American culture. And I certainly would agree with that. I think there are things that have, even in recent months, really opened our eyes to this and started to reveal and expose some of the depths of it. Some of it even being social media, being a false or like kind of a facade of of deep community or, or yeah, remedy, but it's, but it's not. And then COVID hitting just kind of exaggerated it to a higher degree too that we're starting to see it even more clearly. Yeah, I think, yeah, how you said that, exposing it and exaggerating it mm-hmm. and, and bringing it. You know, I maybe to think of it this way, like loneliness is in the air yeah. of our culture. It's the air we breathe. And I, I've noticed even recently, it was our son Brody, seven, loves playing sports. And I'm like, I find myself somewhat jealous of the camaraderie he has on these <laughs> sports teams. Mm. Like, sure, I wouldn't it. mind going back and playing football. Mm-hmm. More often, but that's not really what it is. It's like he's he's on these teams and mm-hmm. he's got these buddies, mm-hmm. and there's a camaraderie and a togetherness that I'm like, oh, I, I there's a degree to which I I long for that. And you hear a lot of mm-hmm. professional athletes once they retire, they'll say, well, what I miss was the locker room. Mm-hmm. You know, I miss the guys. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they miss their sport too. But like, it's interesting that that's what they really point out. Right. It's like you know what? There's something missing in my life, or there's a loneliness when I don't have. Mm-hmm this sport or this team right. that I was a part of. I was reading a, an article in, in Forbes magazine recently by physician Sachin Jain, and he said this, and he's talking about COVID, but he says at the same time that, and he's referring to COVID um, being around, there's another widespread outbreak wreaking havoc with our nation that, unlike COVID, is transpiring in plain sight. It affects 43% of American seniors, and once it take, takes hold, it can increase a person's risk of mortality by up to 50%. In fact, people who experience this condition face a greater risk of death from it than, than people do from air pollution, obesity, and excessive alcohol use. And he's talking about loneliness. loneliness. It's staggering to read those statistics. And that's kind of what I was mentioning even before. Like, We might say we know of our grandparents or other, or other grandparents in long-term care facilities and you're starting to hear some of the level of loneliness that they're experiencing, but to see it in a statistic of how high and how prevalent and prominent this is and how it is a higher degree of concern than some of these other things that we are more aware of is pretty sobering. I know on a personal level, when COVID hit, I think in the beginning stages of it, I 
I, I took it in stride. You know, you can pace yourself when you're three days into the high degree of quarantine <laughs> yeah. in March and April. How naive um, we were at oh, three days. Oh, <laughs> we had no idea it was to come. But I remember even just, you know, a couple weeks in, realizing that this is incredibly isolating. Uh, our family specific, we took it very, very seriously in the front end. And so I wasn't even going to the grocery store or anything like that. So I was in very limited human contact. Like you just said, you had myself, Brody and Beckett primarily. Well, I had you, Brody and Beckett primarily, and our occasional nurse that would come in to help care for Beckett and really realized this doesn't meet all of my social needs. I feel completely alone. And that's even with a knowledge of, I was very aware that, you know, in some, to some degree, everybody's dealing with this right now. Mm -hmm. Everybody across the globe is dealing with this. And for a great portion of the world, even we were all being told to kind of shutter in place and stay at home. And even though there was a sense of community that we're all in this together and me the meme world went crazy with things too it's like yeah we're in this together but yet we're alone we feel so alone and even though there's we're together in our loneliness yeah and it's like no (laughs) this is not solving the problem of loneliness i think i mean i filled my gas tank once in three months that's how limited my outings were because i wasn't going anywhere i wasn't seeing people and and the meme game on social media was not satisfying the the longing to be in community for sure for me yeah i think there can be a unique loneliness that covid has surfaced that medical issues can create and so Mm. while we're probably more aware and especially younger people who don't have many medical issues are maybe more aware that loneliness accompanies medical hardship than they used to be it's been very present for any person who's been going through you know, some type of diagnosis or hardship mm-hmm. with their loved ones who have medical issues. And I remember you know, when we were finding out what Beckett's life was going to be like, one of the things that felt lonely to me was very father-related and uh, maybe even masculine-related. I remember thinking, okay, I have a child that I do love, but I'm going to also have to learn to love him and a lot of the tools Mm -hmm. that have built uh, bonding or love you know between me and other family members or men are not going to be available to me in other words like Mm -hmm. i have a child specifically a relationship with brody yeah like with beckett like he's nonverbal, and his cognitive level is at a place where i'm I'm never going to have a deep conversation with him Mm -hmm. this side of heaven and so how do I bond and love a child where that's not present? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I remember someone saying, like, men like to connect shoulder to shoulder, or i.e. doing things, mm-hmm. working on things, doing mm-hmm. things together, more than maybe just face-to-face over a cup of coffee. And I'm like, there's a lot of limitations for Beckett that I'm not going to be able to, we're not going to be able to do things shoulder to shoulder like I have. So how, how am I going to continue to learn to love him? Mm-hmm. Um, or even just eating together. Men love Food. I mean, everyone loves food, I think. But men love food and love seem, food. seem to bond over food. Sometimes I think I love it more than you. Uniquely. And uh, you do not. <laughs> we yeah, we can prove that. You can come over and look at us. You know, That's not good. That's yeah. not a good qualifier. Yeah, we're not, <laughs> no, that's true. But I'm like, okay, to wrap up my thought here, okay, I'm not going to be able to share a meal with 
Beckett in the mm-hmm. traditional sense because mm-hmm. he doesn't. He has to get all his nourishment from a feeding tube. And so there was a kind of a loneliness for me to a degree of like, I don't know any mm-hmm. other dads or men who mm-hmm. have really experienced this type of thing. I, I, got, I got no one who maybe understands or can help me or guide me. I'm, on, I'm kind of to a degree on my own. Mm-hmm. And so there's a degree of, of loneliness in that. So let me, let me ask you this, cute wife. Mm-hmm. Like, why do you think we as human beings want others to know what is going on in our hardship? Yeah. The first thought that comes to mind in the realm of just community and why why do we have this deep longing and why is it, how can it possibly be kind of transcultural, meaning like every single person would agree they long for community to some degree. And I think often to just the reality of how we are made in God's image, we are made mm-hmm. with character and attributes of, that are true of him he imputed them in us and one of those that's true for him is he's triune there is community in the godhead of three in one yeah and so that's they've, already, they've never been lonely they've never been they've lonely. had each other for all of eternity past right and and that so they've never been lonely but then for us that, that longing of desiring community comes from that reality of of um, were made in his image to be in community. And it can quickly become broken and exaggerated. I think we were talking obviously already about that, how COVID has exaggerated it for most everyone to see. But I think in medical hardships, you really start to feel it um, pretty highly and pretty quickly. Um, And I've noticed that for, you've said it, that it can be more prominent in females than males but I think even just wanting simply to be known and understood I know living and walking in medical hardships just our daily routine our daily routine or the language that I used I was just stopping and thinking about you know learning a new language of an IFSP different doctor's names different diagnoses medications that usually have three different four different five different names for each you know I'm using a language that's even just different and and I still have this longing to, for people to understand and know kind of my world. Um, and I think it's also interesting or telling um, how much I connected with the NICU staff during Beckett's five-month stay there. And yes, I was spending tons of time there, but they knew our son's medical reality better than anybody else. They knew the day-to-day that he was dealing with. They knew the day-to-day medical needs we were going to be going home with, that they knew our world more uniquely than even our parents or our siblings or our close friends. And so there was a sense of I'm known here in this space. They yeah. understand. And that was really um, kind of a safe safe place. And it's, yeah, it's wanting to be known and understood. And I think there's another reason. That's another reason why um, – at least as a mom, I don't know if you've really talked about this much or I haven't heard it from you, but I am invited to or a part of countless support groups mm-hmm. on Facebook for different aspects of Beckett's world, whether it's a specific hospital or NICU moms or it's uh, CP or whatnot. Maybe it's special education in our area. Like it's countless the number of kind of groups that you can connect to. And it, 
it's satisfying somewhat because it allows you to feel like, oh, they get this part of my world. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's interesting that you have countless, I, I can't think of any <laughs> that I've been invited to. Maybe you're more popular uh, than me. <laughs> no, it's not that. I think women, it's something about women too. Yeah. And, no, yeah. I think there is, I think you're right. There is a degree to which the feminine soul wants to be known, understood, right? That's the and, That's the joke uh, in marriage of, you know, she comes to him with a, a problem or something that's going on. She doesn't want him to fix it. He just thinks, oh, well, let's just fix this. It's working. And she's like, no, I just more want you to know Listen. what's going on. I can, I'm, I'm intelligent. I can fix it myself or, or deal with it myself. Mm-hmm. I just want you to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's intrinsic in women too to be, to tend to be the more nurturing, caring of, of the parents. Um, and so there's that too. Yeah. I think sometimes I've wanted people to know about what's going on with Beckett as an explanation for mm. why I am the way I am. Like, I, yeah. I just remember when we were up at night a ton with him, mm-hmm. and my cognitive ability, my memory, and my mental sharpness was, like, it was in decline. I wasn't mm-hmm. the way I used to be. I was forgetting things, mm-hmm. and sometimes I think annoying people mm. with that. And there was a, a part of me that wanted people to know what it's like, you know, the home every, every night for yeah. basically years on end we're up constantly and that has an effect mm-hmm. i didn't you know i didn't want it to necessarily be an excuse where right. uh, you know you shouldn't maybe have an excuse but i'm like no i remember i wanted some people reason. to know like no nah, the reason i forget stuff is because of what it's like being a special needs dad mm-hmm. and maybe even uniquely me like yeah you were up more than i was and i think you stayed mentally sharper <laughs> than i did i you have your you had an ability mm-hmm. that was even beyond me in that by God's grace arena. Yeah, but I think you're, you, I I can relate to that too, though, because I would definitely agree that I I I almost felt like I needed people to know some things in order to receive the grace that I was like in demand of. I, I yeah. needed it because I couldn't I couldn't carry and I can't carry the weight of this reality we live on my own. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. People understanding your hardship, they can give you grace mm-hmm. in some areas where you do feel like you you need it. Mm-hmm. So why do you think at times that we don't want others to know about what's going on with our medical hardship? Yeah, I think you you have a lot of good thoughts too. I know, and one of them we're already mentioning is like we don't, you don't want your lead foot to be... Um, always the damper in your world. You don't want to be Debbie Downer? No, absolutely <laughs> You've ever seen not. the SNL skit? I uh, really go, don't. Go, go look it up. It, you'll, you'll get a good laugh at it if you haven't heard of Debbie Downer. It's, it's just rough. Like you want, there's a balance of wanting to be known but also not wanting it to just be, um, you know, a chip on your shoulder of all things. Or you don't want to be Eeyore. Right. And, and there's something to be said about this is a huge part of my world, but it isn't all of me yeah. either. And I think that can sometimes be the tension, though, as, as to the degree it looks for us to be parents to Beckett, it is a significant part of our world. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean I've completely lost myself in him. I still like playing with makeup, and that has nothing to do with Beckett. Yeah. <laughs> you still go hunting and enjoy other outdoor things that, it's not pertaining directly to Beckett. Yeah, if it if it's always kind of your lead foot, or if you 
you know, sometimes we don't want people to know what's going on because we do actually care about other people in their mm-hmm. world. You know, like I remember someone saying, grief can be selfish. Mm-hmm. Where, you, yes, you're, you, there's a degree where you got to focus on your on yourself and take care of yourself, but it can become so overwhelming for such a period of time that you can't get past it. Get past get past it and care for other people or enter into their world. And I think for periods of time, especially when grief is very serious or mm-hmm. hardship is very serious, people are going to understand that and give grace, but it can go too far. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think another reason why we don't want always want other people to know what's going on with our medical hardship is that some of the sometimes the nature of these things are embarrassing. Mm-hmm. When you start thinking about your body, and your physicality, there are certain diagnoses and problems that you're like, yeah, I don't want to broadcast this to the world mm-hmm. because it's kind of embarrassing. And we, we think about that a lot with Beckett, even just the, the dignity factor of mm-hmm. a lot of his needs. I mean, he's completely dependent on somebody else for all things in his life. Mm-hmm. He will forever, and we've transitioned even in verbiage from diaper, he's five now, to brief. And even Brody in his sweetness helps remind us sometimes because you can slip. They're essentially the same thing. Mm-hmm. But if he were cognitively aware, no five-year-old would want to be told or anyone to know that he wears a diaper. And so even just using a different language, but also knowing like when we need to tend to that need of Beckett's and if we're out in public, you know, wanting to keep it in a way that can be dignified instead of embarrassing even for him. Yeah. And there's a degree where, where that's okay mm-hmm. to say this is kind of embarrassing and I don't need to let the world know. Mm-hmm. Or very few people necessarily need to know about this. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it could be a, a maybe a little bit of a trap because mm-hmm. then you're lonely. It's possible to have loneliness in that because right. it is embarrassing to share. Yep. So you don't want to. But then the result of that is you also feel a little bit lonely. Yeah. And I think... Yeah, if you're if you're going to share something that is potentially embarrassing or is a little bit embarrassing, like that's called being vulnerable. Well, the definition of vulnerability is, you know, opening yourself up to attack. Mm-hmm. And so there certainly are people that painful. Yeah, there certainly are people you don't want to tell mm-hmm. kind of very personal, painful, maybe embarrassing information because they're not trustworthy. Right. That's just the case. It's you know, it'd be unwise to let them know. Right. And so it is there's yeah. discretion in you in that even. Yeah. Yeah. I think another maybe reason we don't always want to share what's going on is that some people really are just more private than others. Some mm-hmm. people wear their emotions on their sleeve. We all know people like that. Mm-hmm. And some people just by nature, and this is absolutely just fine, are a little more private. Mm-hmm. And so they're not going to broadcast how they're feeling constantly. Mm-hmm. And it might even be unhealthy to over-encourage them to, to open up to, too much to do so mm-hmm. yeah or even just in the reality too whether it is maybe it's it's a healthy too but also acknowledging that there's a lot going on but somebody might have the one or two people in their life that do know the extent of things and then there's a few more people that know even a little bit less but still a lot and then further from that they know there's things going on but they don't need to know every single detail and so having even discretion and in, in that but as an outsider then realizing if someone's not sharing everything with me it doesn't mean that they're holding it all in they may have their 
few people that are core to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, I think it's, it's maybe natural. We don't want to appear weak Yeah. as well. And there can be pride in that. Pride in that, yeah. Yeah. That I want you to think a certain way of me, and so I'm going to hide the reality or maybe even lie about the reality. Yeah. can be motivated by pride. Okay, let's, let's switch to this. Why do you think we want others to share in our life? We kind of were talking about previous, you know, we want others to know what's going on. Why do we want other people to, to share mm-hmm. in our life? I, Especially a hardship. I, uh, when I mentioned it earlier, I think part of it is recognizing I, I can't carry this on my own. And by sharing, yeah, we, need, we need help. Yeah, we need help. And so, uh, whether you're entering in by listening or by meeting a practical, tangible need, um, that is greatly significant. It's it's saying without saying it always directly, but it's saying, I'm, I'm in this with you. I'm going to carry this burden with you. And I think of the number of times friends have jumped in to pick up Brody from school or have him over to their house when things have gone crazy in a day for us with Beckett. They can't help us with Beckett and the crazy that's going on with him, but they help alleviate some of the other, the other um, factors in our life to, so that we can focus on what's going on with Beckett and that's it's incredibly helpful that they're kind of entering in in that way yeah, and this isn't hardship related but I've, it's taken me 30 some years to realize this but I, I recognize I do not like doing projects alone <laughs> and some people really do mm-hmm. but like I do not it is night or day different sometimes even like fixing something if I got to fix something around the house or fix something on a car like if I'm doing it by myself, I'm like, oh, it just feels like such a drudgery and I hate it. But like if someone's alongside with me, Brody or you or Sam or someone else, like it makes it for me like 10 times more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, sharing. It, I guess you could say that is a little bit hardship related sharing in. OK, we got to fix Do this on the vehicle. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's a minor hardship most of the time. But well, I mean, the other example is even recently you had gone hunting for a day but you came back a little early just being present with each other you came back to Brody and I and Beck and I were watching football Mm -hmm. (laughs) just just being there with us nothing nothing hard about that but just saying hey we're back together I think another and you kind of hit on it but reason we want others to share in our life the reality is if we really are lonely Help is not on the way mm. because no one knows to come and help. Mm-hmm. If, if it really is lonely, there's a good chance by the nature of it that others don't know. Mm-hmm. And so there isn't a sense that help is on the way. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it'd be a, a vastly different experience, let's say, if you were lost in the wilderness and you had to think through, I'm lost and no one knows. No one knows yeah. I'm out here. No one knows where to come get me versus... I'm lost, but there are people who know about it. Right. You, have, you have a sense of hope that you could be rescued. Which is why I always have you drop a pin when you go hunting so that I know where to find yeah. you. And I carry the satellite uh, texting device <laughs> and pay 20 bucks a month all year or whatever it, it is, is. so that great for this wife. When I don't have cell service <laughs> and you need to get a hold of me or vice versa, we can, we can do so. It's important. 
All right, let, let's get into the, I think, the real meat and potatoes, mm-hmm. um, the answer, quote unquote. So let's get into how God helps us in our loneliness. And I think of one of the most encouraging things, and someone just mentioned this to me recently, was a single guy talking about life and COVID being single and loneliness, and he started to talk to me about how considering that God knows loneliness intimately and experientially, not Mm -hmm. just intellectually, Mm -hmm. has been very comforting to him. So if we even just take Jesus, for example, I mean, think about a few of these things. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying because he knows the cross is coming, and he's in great anguish about it. And on multiple occasions, his disciples fall asleep when he's calling them to pray with him. Like, there's a degree of, I'm in this alone, mm-hmm. you know, that could not have have felt good no. for him. And then he gets, quote-unquote, arrested, you know, for doing nothing, and it says that all his disciples left him and fled. All right, now he's alone. He's abandoned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is denied by Peter after Peter gives, you know, this very grandiose rah-rah, you know, the, though they all will fall away. Because of you, I'll never fall away. <laughs> and then he denies him three times. Uh, I was thinking about this too. Like, Pilate offers Jesus freedom from punishment. Like, he, he wants to let him go because he knows he's, he's innocent. And they have a, a yearly thing where they'll let someone, a, a criminal, go free. And so Pilate puts up Jesus versus Barabbas, mm-hmm. who, who, is, who is a known criminal. criminal. Mm-hmm. And Jesus' own people, the, the priests, the elders of Israel... The people he would have thought are his people, his allies. Yeah, well, they, they are his people. He, right. In his pre-incarnate mm-hmm. existence as the, the second member of the Trinity, the Son of mm-hmm. God, like, he was the rock that this nation Israel drank from. He guided mm-hmm. them. And they say, no, we want Barabbas to go free. And, and Pilate even says... You know, you know, what shall I do with, you know, this Jesus who's called Christ? And he's trying to, to get him free because he knows he hasn't done anything. And they yell, let him be crucified. Not only, you know, uh, let him die. They want the, the death penalty for him. But they, all of a sudden, his own people want the worst possible, the worst possible option for him. And that is, I mean, that had to be brutal. I think of this like, you know, Jesus knows experientially loneliness, but even, and maybe this is a, a slightly different category, but he knows physically what it's like to be unable to do something. Mm-hmm. He yeah, understands that and, that, and that's an interesting thing to think about, mm-hmm. but consider, like, he was asked to carry his cross to Calvary, and he couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. He was so physically, after being scourged and whipped and and beaten, he couldn't do it. And they had to get someone else, Simon of Cyrene, Mm -hmm. to pick it up and carry it. So he understands, not just because he knows everything, which he does, but he understands experientially, Mm -hmm. even being physically unable to do something. And then probably the pinnacle of all of these examples, Jesus, and we've already talked about the Trinity, living in perfect harmony, unity, love, togetherness for all of eternity past, He's on the cross, and his father abandons him and turns from loving him to punishing him for the sins of the world. And it's so painful 
Jesus says, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm -hmm. I mean, and here he is knowing the deepest loneliness imaginable so that you and I might not have to ever. And if you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ, I, I still vividly remember how that was articulated in that because the, the ache in his voice was even just so pronounced. And I think looking unto Jesus and fixing our eyes on him and, and going, he knows loneliness, mm -hmm. and he experienced the worst loneliness by choice out of obedience to his Father, but out of love for us so that we might not have to. Mm -hmm. And it is... I would say requisite that when we see and understand this, that we do repent of our sins and place our faith in him for salvation. Mm -hmm. It's the only worthy response to such a, an action. Right. So let's move to this then also, a, a second way that God helps in our loneliness. Yeah, God pays attention to the lonely and the outsider. And a couple... A couple of specific examples, too, might not be that uncommon, or they're pretty frequently referenced if you've ever been a part of a church at all. Um, but I think through a couple categories of, like, the outcast and the downcast, those are individuals that oh, sure. the Lord is very mindful of and attentive to. And in Matthew, um, where Jesus heals the leper, you know, the leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will. And then he, Jesus declares, be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And what's interesting to me about this is that leprosy was, because it was a physical uh, disability, there was evidence to their skin and the way individuals looked. And it was contagious. This, some would say contagious, very contagious. So then to touch him or to be near him was like, the death of yourself almost like a death sentence to get it and so that uh really by visible standards separated this individual from being a part of society and jesus responds to his pursuit of him still so it's pretty profound that there's clearly a visible indication of loneliness for this individual because he has he's has a disease that causes him to be completely isolated from the rest of society. But Jesus has, by his choice, moves towards him, even in it. Yeah, he reaches out and touches him, mm -hmm. which is, mm -hmm. you know, if you're not the son of God and you don't have power within you like that, it is that, would be, that would be your like way, you... be far worse than not wearing a mask. Let's right. just say, let's just say <laughs> oh, that. Oh, man. Oh, we went there. <laughs> but, but, I mean, it was very... It was incredibly loving, mm -hmm. this lonely person who probably hasn't felt human touch in a long time, mm -hmm. and the, the, the love of that, mm -hmm. to just even be gently mm -hmm. touched. And then also just thinking about the, the widow and the orphan, the downcast that God moves towards. There are several verses all throughout Scripture that reference things. In Psalm 68, uh, 5 through 6, says, Father, He's the father of the fellows and protector of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God settles the solitary, or in some versions it says, or the lonely, in a home. In other versions it says families. So he is intentional in meeting those needs that come from broken relationships of being a widow or an orphan, a world that doesn't operate the way God created it to. And he is very intentional in meeting those, those 
real deep, lonely feelings that come with those broken relationships. Like think of this in in First Peter two. I, I, this is just fascinating. If you want to think about being lonely or or being an outsider, what God has done, He says, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." What a family. So He, I, I think. Honestly, I think this helps in loneliness to, to go and realize, okay, focus my eyes on something. Like God has set me in this very unique mm-hmm. group. We're his children. We're in his family. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And then we together we have this, we do it individually, but together we have this mission to proclaim his excellencies. Right for what he has done. I remember talking with a college student, you know, maybe this was like maybe 15 years ago, and I shared the gospel with him, and he placed his faith in Christ. And one of the things that he said, he was an only child, and he was living in a culture with a mm-hmm. lot of, you know, you know, only one child. And I hadn't even really taught him this, but he, we were under, he mm-hmm. understood he was God's child. And he goes, you know, you are my first true brother. Mm-hmm. And he had you know, tears mm. in his eyes coming down his his face. Like that's significant. You you are my one. You are my first true brother. And I and I realized, oh my gosh, yeah, he's never mm-hmm. understood what it's even like to have a sibling. And right. now the power, the powerful fact that he family. is in God's family, and we're brothers. We're of different ethnicities. We look different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have very different backgrounds, but we're actually brothers. And that mm-hmm. that was really powerful. Mm. Another truth is God's promise that he is always with us. This is so significant because I think especially in our culture, American culture, it's a lot of, and I think Satan really uses this, exasperates it a lot of, you You are alone. No one understands you and you don't have anyone. And so these truths... And where of, is God mm-hmm, you know, in your time mm-hmm. of need? Yeah, not even just the you're alone from people, but you're alone from your Heavenly Father, or God himself. And so three specific um, verses that speak the direct truth into this, or passages, rather. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, through the, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the hearts of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then in Hebrews 13, 5, it says, point blank, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah, these truths, when you take them straight out of Scripture, they are pure and they are God's word and they are true. And so we can become weighted down by doubts and lies, but knowing these Scripture and then believing them when we are feeling those feelings really allows us to claim them in those deep, dark feelings of loneliness to know that, no, I'm going to use the sword of God's word to fight against this battle. Yeah. Now, I had a friend, I remember, very theologically knowledgeable, knew his Bible backwards and forward. One of the things he just kept saying to me when we were going through our hard times with Beckett was, he is with you. Mm-hmm. He is with you. You know, he knew that there were a lot of answers I didn't, I didn't need 
maybe big, long explanations, but I just need to be reminded, mm-hmm. yep, I got all these negative emotions, but he's there. He hasn't mm-hmm. left. The, the fact that I have negative emotions does nothing to nullify a promise of God that he's right. there and that he loves me. Right. And it was, it, was, it was a really wise way of responding. Mm-hmm. Well, let's maybe, let's maybe wrap up with this, that God's people are a means of his grace. Yeah. And even people in general are a means of grace, certainly to a degree. Mm-hmm. And so we read the quote from you know, Mother Teresa earlier that, you know, living life without people is the worst disease any human being can ever experience. Mm-hmm. And you'd even mentioned, you know, just even, <laughs> I guess, on Facebook, there's all these community groups you could you could call them that well, you're invited pre- to to be a part of pre-social media they would just gather at in settings and in, in physical yeah. places but these support groups are very common mm-hmm. yeah and and they are helpful to a degree mm-hmm. you know i think of the, the one that sticks out to me like oh support groups or, or people banding together that have been through hardship for the sake of some cause mad mothers against mm-hmm. drunk driving mm-hmm. and there's there's a community there where yeah. Other you have other people who understand and who know. Yeah. And now they're they're also going to say, let's do something about mm-hmm. the the trauma that we have. Yeah. But really, you know, you think about like God created His church through Jesus Christ, and you have this these people from different backgrounds across ages, mm-hmm. gender, and here you have. You're, you're all God's people, and he has stated that we are to take care of one another, mm-hmm. that we're to be there for one another, to grieve with each other when one grieves, we're to rejoice. When we rejoice, we have unique uh, parts, we're diverse, and yet we're unified in the body of Christ. And this comes from, as like we talked about before, the fact that God is a trinity. Mm-hmm. He's existed for all of eternity past, in perfect unity in diversity. In other words, the Son's not, a, not the Father, the Father's not the Son, the Son's not the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And yet they had perfect, they, well, they, they had, they have, they will have mm-hmm. perfect unity and togetherness. And eventually, God will gather all his people and we'll have perfect unity mm-hmm. uh, with him in heaven in the sense that There'll be no sin. No one will believe anything wrongly. We'll all agree on everything that is true mm-hmm. <laughs> at, at some point. We don't become God himself. It's not that kind of unity. Right. But it's unity on the level of separation, creator, and created right. um, together. Yeah. And with that even, how that plays out in the here and now before... Jesus' return and before we're all restored in heaven, if we have that saving relationship, is the reality that we still need people. I know for myself, I need people outside of a secular support group because those support groups help meet some of the needs of just the practical side of my world. Mm -hmm. But they lack oftentimes in the, the spiritual reality. And so I've just noticed too, I need people in my world that maybe don't understand the day-to-day of my life, but they will be praying for me. They will be there to process with me. They will be there to point me to Jesus and remind me, like your friend that you've referenced many times just says, he is with you. Sometimes we need those people to remind us 
of these truths because in our loneliness or maybe it's the grief that's causing extra loneliness or whatnot, we need to be reminded of those, those things, the truths of who God is. And I, I think it's important that we do have, you know, those people in our lives, but I think, and I, I speak out of a place of I've done this, I do this and I have to catch myself and I have to surrender it a lot that I can quickly think um, if someone is entering in to share this burden with me and if they don't really understand, I can quickly dismiss their credibility of like, well, they don't really get it. They don't understand this or maybe these secular support groups even like they don't, they don't have other children that they're walking through life with or they don't have this element to discern through or they don't, you know. I can quickly dismiss credibility of people and how they can share in this with me. And I need to remind myself that even though people may not understand the, the depth of everything, that their own journey, their own story and, and where they're coming from has credibility and giving, almost extending them grace so that mm-hmm. I can then receive the truth that they're going to share with me without it being a, a discredit in my mind. So I think in general, the intensity of, of loneliness can ebb and flow. We've shared a lot about truth of who God is and what it means for our loneliness and what it, what it looks like for people to share in our loneliness and why we want people to know. Um, I think ultimately for myself, the how I handle things is a make or break. I can quickly allow lonely feelings to create an isolation if I if I dwell on things I mentioned earlier about not giving credibility to people who are trying to come alongside me but I also have to know that people aren't going to be the ultimate fix for my loneliness it's a deep 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 longing for each of us and uh, only the Lord can ultimately fulfill that um, so remembering the truth of who the promise is that he says and, and, and allowing people to be used appropriately. Yeah, I think of, you know, one of the things that the church does, you know, provides, you know, we are a community, provides people to minister to us, to bear our burdens, to help us, but provides people who are going to point us to Christ. Uh, yeah, you can be a part of some other community groups, that are good, and as you kind of explained, they can help with that niche need. But a lot of times what we need is we need a brother or sister to tell us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Mm-hmm. So even just uh, last week, I was with a group of guys for a Bible study. They're all they're in their 60s. I'm 36. So it's kind of it's kind of nice, you know, some mm-hmm. older, wiser mm-hmm. men. And I was, you know, we're sharing prayer requests, and I'm sharing a few things I could use prayer for. And one of the guys was with a degree of wisdom said, yeah, brother, I want to pray that you fix your eyes on Jesus. And, and it dawned on me, like, yeah, I am thinking about myself and my problems a lot, and I need to get my eyes off myself and fix my eyes on Jesus. And I got that from being involved in my church and involved, you know, even in a smaller group of men from the church, talking about the scriptures, praying for one another mm. in life, and, and that was hugely, hugely beneficial. Yeah. So, yeah, we want to thank you for listening to the Blue Stem Project. It's been a pleasure having you, as always. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, again, we want to remind you that the Blue Stem Project exists to equip and encourage you in the suffering, hardships, and trials of life that come with health issues and disability. 
And we do this by helping root you in Christ and by giving you the tools you need to be ready for life's greatest obstacles. And it would be an honor to take this journey with you. Please do hit the subscribe button and tell a friend or family member experiencing health issues and medical disability about the Houston Project. Mm-hmm.